so we know that DNA isn't destiny and you're, and that's kind of the point of also being able to combine it with your blood work um, to show how your specific habits are manifesting in your day-to-day life. Welcome to the Seamland Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Michelle Darian. Michelle is a nutrition scientist and a registered dietitian in Inside Tracker. In this episode, Michelle and I are going to take a look at my recent blood work on the Inside Tracker platform. Inside Tracker is an at-home biomarker service that you can use to test up to 43 different biomarkers like lipids, liver enzymes, inflammation, sex hormones, and much more. The process is simple. You order the test kit to your home, use the little finger prick device to give your blood, send it back, and you get results to your online dashboard or app. You can get a 25% discount of all their tests if you head over to seamlund.com forward slash inside tracker, that's in one word, and you can use the code seamlund at checkout. That's seamlund.com forward slash inside tracker, and the code is seamlund. Michelle, welcome to the show. Great, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, glad to have you, and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, blood work, my own uh, blood tests, and... uh, you work uh, for Inside Tracker, which is the company that I run the anal- analysis through. And uh, before we get to my results, maybe let's talk a little about, you know, how did you get, you know, how did you start to work with Inside Tracker, and how did you get, you know, your uh, expertise? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so since I was in college, I did my undergraduate in dietetics, and I got really interested in nutrition and how people um, can implement these different nutrition and lifestyle changes to really impact their overall health. Um, So that led me to Boston when I did my master's in nutrition and then public health at Tufts University. Um, And then a couple of the advisors on the board at Inside Tracker are also professors at Tufts. And so that's how I got um, familiar with Inside Tracker and actually came on as an intern while I was in graduate school. Um, And I really enjoyed my time at Inside Tracker. And so I ended up coming on full time after I was done with my grad school and then doing my dietetic internship so that I could be a registered dietitian. And so I do a couple of different things for Inside Tracker. So I'm on their science team and then also on their marketing team. So basically being able to translate some of that scientific content um, into practical use. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely yeah, like good to have uh, professionals on the team uh, to know, you know, what's the actual science say and um, yeah, how does it all these different, um, what, what it does mean, the uh, results. Um, but th- did you ever have like any of your own um, health issues in the past or uh, what was specifically like maybe sparked your interest or desire to uh, learn these things? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. So, um, so I've always had um, high cholesterol that runs in my family. And so um, I was pretty surprised in high school to learn that I also had high cholesterol. Um, well, I guess unsurprising based on my genetics, but um, just based on my lifestyle, I was pretty surprised. Um, and so then I actually became a vegetarian and I just noticed how, um, how well I was sleeping, just like how well I felt in general. And so, I mean, I know everyone's diet is super specific to them and certain things work best for others, but I thought it was just super interesting that something kind of like a small tweak was able to make me feel so great. Um, and it helped to start to lower my numbers and things like that. So that's basically how I got started actually in high school. And I have just been really interested in it ever since. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> that's good to hear. Like, uh, yeah, the genetics uh, have a huge impact. And, uh, did you like, did you like, uh, I don't know, find anything else about your genetics that you didn't know about before, or, you know, the inside tracker also has a genetics uh, component uh, to it that people can use. So uh, yeah, like it would be interesting to know like a few additional insights of like what people could learn about uh, how their genetics could affect like their, or what kind of recommendations they should follow. 
Yeah, definitely. And genetics do play um, a role in some of these biomarker levels and specifically the cholesterol. Um, and so basically what genetics can tell you is that it's your genetic predisposition to what your biomarker levels can be. Uh, so inside trackers DNA kit tests for like 29 different wellness traits and cholesterol being one of them. Um, and so I also found through the inside tracker test that I do also have a genetic predisposition for higher cholesterol levels. Basically what that does is in combination with your blood work, it, it can help you to figure out what you need to prioritize working on. Um, so just as an example, my, I was genetically predispositioned to have higher LDL cholesterol. So that just means I have to work a little bit harder to make sure that I improve it. So I was able to do that through specific diet and lifestyle changes, um, like swapping out some of that saturated fat, adding in more fiber. Um, and so basically it's, we know that DNA isn't destiny and you're, and that's kind of the point of also being able to combine it with your blood work, um, to show how your specific habits are manifesting in your day-to-day -day life. Mm, yeah, that, that's right. Uh, I didn't do the, uh, DNA test with Inside Tracker. I've done it like with other platforms, um, but I did do the uh, blood test, uh, the analysis. analysis. So uh, yeah, maybe let's walk us through <laughs> my results and uh, we're going to talk about what my markers say about my health and uh, what are the things that I may need to change uh, or improve upon. Yeah, so definitely. Can, yeah, you can share the screen. Good to get started. Um, so actually similar to what we were just speaking about with the cholesterol, I think that's a, a great place for us to get started with your um, mm -hmm. work as well. So let's see. So I noticed that, so this is your overall. So on the, um, on the blood work page, we can see um, four of the blood biomarkers that are within that lipid group um, kind of in this one place. So we see here, this is your lipid group. And then if we come down a little bit, we can see that that is comprised of your LDL cholesterol, which is that bad cholesterol that you want to um, try to lower. And then the HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol, um, triglycerides, which is kind of that package and storage form. Mm -hmm. And then your total cholesterol. Um, so if we come over to your LDL cholesterol first, um, we can see that that one is in, so we, so we also, we have these optimized zones here. So for you, um, the optimal level of your LDL cholesterol would be between zero and 80. Um, but we see here that this one is at 117. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if this is something that you've seen before on other blood work or, or anything like that. Yeah, it is like, um, uh, my usually, yeah, my blood work, my LDL would be somewhere around, uh, that area, like, uh. In the past, it has been a bit higher as well, like even 130 or something. Um, but yeah, usually it's never below 100 uh, because I don't, I don't have like any bad uh, genetics for cholesterol. Like I don't have the APOE um, variant. I'm like, I'm safe in terms of the Alzheimer's risk uh, when it comes to saturated fat. Um, but I think it's mostly because if I do um, follow like a lower carb diet and a higher uh, fat intake a little bit, with a mm -hmm. higher animal protein as well. And also do uh, fasting, intermittent fasting, which I also know that that does raise uh, cholesterol levels as well. So um, yeah, that's kind of the, uh, my uh, rationale behind why it is um, slightly elevated. But you know, even then there's like a lot of people, different opinions about whether or not 117 is high or whether or not, yeah, like how much is the kind of danger zone, et cetera. Uh, I personally don't, really think that 117 would be like that super dangerous uh, because my like my other biomarkers are good and my inter-resistance is low and my um, my inflammation levels are also low and my hdl is kind of pretty good uh so yeah at least personally it doesn't really <laughs> it doesn't like uh make me uh, super concerned maybe other people who are uh with uh, poorer metabolic health then for me then it may be uh, something to be concerned with but for me like at least it's not uh, that big of a deal 
yeah, you raise a number of good of good points too. It is really important to be able to look at a specific biomarker level in context of the others as well. Mm -hmm. um, so like, just as you said, your triglycerides look good and your HDL cholesterol looks good. Um, so those are all um, obviously important factors as well. It's good that your genetics are kind of on your side um, too. And then again, like your other metabolic markers, like you mentioned with insulin resistance and stuff look good. Um, I would just ask too, and it sounds, so it sounds like you're having some, like a, a diet that's, that has like a good amount of um, fat in it as well. Um, I'm wondering if you're incorporating some of those healthier fat, some of those like healthy unsaturated fats. So things like fish, um, avocado, stuff like that. Yeah, I do. I do. I eat fish pretty regularly, almost every day, a little bit. Uh, I eat avocados maybe like once a week. Uh, I fish almost every other day, something like that. Uh, I eat olive oil in uh, like moderate amounts. Uh, <laughs> I don't and nuts as well, like a few nuts, like as a dessert or something, uh, but nothing yeah. like larger quantities. Actually, right. actually, I don't eat like a super high fat diet. I don't eat like the standard keto diet. Um, my fat intake, if I were to guess, like a guess by memory, uh, then I would say my fat intake is usually like um, 100, 120 grams at max, 100 grams usually. So, it, and, and from the calorie perspective, it would be maybe, uh, 30% or 40, 30 to 40% of my calories would be fat, uh, something like that. So it's not like a super high fat diet. And, um, but I do eat like a variety of uh, different kinds of fats. Okay, great. Yeah, that's, that's also great to know. And then the other piece I would just, um, just ask about is, do you feel like you get enough fiber intake through your current diet if it's lower in carb? Yeah, I do. I do. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not a strict low carb either. Like I eat uh, mm -hmm. a ton of vegetables. I eat, uh, yeah, cruciferous vegetables, uh, salads. Uh, tubers, some um, a little bit of potatoes, uh, a little bit of fruit, maybe a little bit of berries, and maybe like a little bit of uh, grains every once in a while as well. So yeah, I, I do eat like a high high fiber intake for sure. That's good. So those were those would be the main things that I would say when you're looking at your cholesterol. So again, yeah, like 117 for us, we categorize that as as um, being a little bit on the higher side, like just on mm. the border higher side, but. It mm -hmm. sounds like you're doing a lot of the good, a lot of good things um, within your diet and your exercise and stuff too. Is there, um, is, yeah, is, is there like a, like a LDL to HDL ratio or something that also is like a more accurate um, description of the uh, cardiovascular disease risk uh, compared to just LDL? Yeah, that's a great, yeah, that's a great point. We don't calculate the ratio specifically on the platform itself, but um, just even looking at it here, we can see that your HDL cholesterol is in a good place. So that's also important since we know that HDL cholesterol is really okay. important for making yeah. clear LDL bad cholesterol. So it's a 66 milligrams per deciliter, the HDL, just telling for the audio. <laughs> yes. And the triglycerides yes. are, um, how much were they? Yeah, they're at 53. So that's, 53. Um, that looks really great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. And then we can see... What would be like something if people have low HDL, like what would be cause of that? Um, not necessarily like a specific cause of that, but it could just be um, the fact that someone's having kind of a lower, like a lower fat diet. So mm -hmm. uh, maybe something that doesn't have as many healthy fats in it. Um, sometimes HDL can be, can be a little bit on the lower side if someone's not as active. Um, a couple of those, a couple of those things. So basically what I would say to raise that H, if you were worried about raising your HDL cholesterol, um, I would just recommend um, making sure that you're incorporating those healthy fats. So okay. um, like we talked about with the fish, with the avocado, the olive oil, nuts and seeds. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. So let's okay. move on. So that is the cholesterol group. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, next up is the inflammation group. So the inside trackers inflammation group. Um, so we have it on, again, this is one of the um, biomarkers that we have on this group level. Um, and then if you come down here, you can see the specific components of it. So first up is CRP, which is just a general um, indicator of inflammation in the body. It's pretty nonspecific. Um, it just shows any type of inflammation. So it can be, um, inflammation can be caused by a number of different things. So it's part of your immune response, um, or it can be something as simple as like rolling an ankle. Um, it can also, you can also have inflammation if you have like buildup in your arteries or something like that. So it's a nonspecific measure, um, but this is one that you generally want to keep on the lower side. Um, and that another component of the inflammation group is your white blood cell count. So you have your overall white blood cell count here. Um, and then you have the five components of your white blood cells. So neutrophils, basophils, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and then white blood cells is how this is all aggregated. Um, and so we can talk about specifically for you. So I'm looking here at your CRP, um, which is that nonspecific measure of, um, of inflammation. That one is, looks awesome. So it's quite low at 0.1. Um, so that's, that's a great place to be. So do you feel like you do anything specific to make sure that your inflammation levels stay low? Uh, yeah, they're always been, uh, low like that, like 0 0.1, 0 0.2. And, uh, I think the biggest one, uh, may have to do again with like the fasting a little bit. So like, uh, time sheet eating those kind of things and not eating like these inflammatory foods, not eating, uh, the inflammatory fats. I think that is a huge, I think, uh, uh, I also do like a lot of this, you know, cold exposure, which is lo lowers inflammation a whole lot. So, uh, yeah, like, uh, cold water immersion, uh, cold showers, I do them like several times a week all the time. And I think that's a huge thing as well. That's at, yeah. least, like, at least they get rid of like the muscle soreness and those kind of things uh, super fast. Yeah, that's awesome. And that, yeah, that's a great point too, because yeah, like also to your point, so that's something that can rise in response to high levels of exercise as well. So mm -hmm. um, making sure that you're recovering from those workouts um, is very important. So I'm glad yeah. that that's doing well. Um, let's see, when we come over to your white blood cells, it looked like those were just a bit elevated. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering, so it's interesting. So white blood cells, it's easier to be to be able to say exactly what's happening with your white blood cells when you have a couple of like white blood cell readings over time. Um, so it's one of those biomarkers that um, we do have an optimal zone for it. So for, for you, that would be between the 3.8 and 6.8, but sometimes that can, um, it can fluctuate or some, like with certain people, like that's kind of where their body is at resting. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm wondering like, have you happened to see this, um, this measure with white blood cell count before? Yeah, I have actually. Uh... Okay. Yeah, so it's, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's something that you've seen before. Yeah. Um, so that, that's also like one of the really important components of your white blood cells. Um, and basically the, what we can say for white blood cells, there's not a ton we do nutrition wise um, in terms of white blood cells, besides just promoting like a diet that's very, like a varied diet, making sure you're getting enough nutrients, um, just mm -hmm. generally speaking. So, um, so that's, yeah, there's not as much that we do nutrition wise, besides just making sure that you're, you know, mm -hmm. performing, doing some exercise and, right. um, and very diet. Right. The, um, usually the white blood cells would rise if you get like some infection, right? Yes. Right. So basically when, when the body detects a foreign pathogen or something that shouldn't be there, white blood cells are the first um, component that's recruited to be able to try to get rid of whatever that pathogen is that your body deems that shouldn't be there. Okay. Um, so sometimes like that can be also responsible for a little bit um, higher levels of white blood cells just because more are being recruited. Mm -hmm. uh, that can also be an indicator that your body was like specifically fighting something off at that point in time. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, but I, ha I haven't like had any um, sickness for, I don't know, like a few years. Um, 
and I, and I do think that uh, the what what while my levels are elevated, I think is because of again like the fasting. <laughs> so like the fasting uh, also raises uh, white blood cells, and uh, the sauna does it as well. Exercise probably does it as well. So, uh, but I, and I do those things like almost every day, uh, which I think maybe like one of the reasons why it's a, a bit uh, elevated. So the kind of yeah. body body has like this a uh, higher elevated uh, immunosurveillance, so to say, that the white blood cells are lurking around. Uh, but there's nothing to really like kill <laughs> but they're like ready right. yeah. i mm. guess that's the scenario then <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's good that you've been able to stay healthy okay so that is white blood cells um okay next we can talk about the sugar group which um let's see so for you um we have the blood glucose levels here mm -hmm. um and we also measure hba1c for any for anyone else who has um, a measure of their hba1c from a physician or anything like that um, with, when it comes to blood glucose, that's basically a measure of how your body's, um, your body, your body's fasting blood glucose after that 12, at least 12 hour fast. Um, so it's more so an indicator of how your body is, um, responding to insulin and, and sugar and things at that specific moment in time. Whereas the HbA1c is a measure of your average blood glucose over the past around three to four months. So it can show how your body is processing that sugar on a, like on a more of like a few months scale. Right. Um, so for you, you're like, just kind of like you mentioned when we were talking about your LDL cholesterol, I mean, your blood glucose level looks really great here at 77. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and, I did, I, I did take the test when I was like a slightly longer fasted, like uh, 16 hours or something, which okay. also lowers it. Yeah, that can also, yeah, that can also contribute to the, like having that um, glucose in the optimal zone too. Um, and then it also sounds like kind of the diet that you're already following is kind of already geared towards having like an optimal Mm -hmm. sugar level too, just kind of with that, like, you, it sounds like you have a pretty good ratio of carbs, you're having enough fiber, um, but then also with the healthy fats. So mm -hmm. it sounds like the right things there. Basically, when it comes, if someone was to come and they have um, higher, higher glucose levels, I actually also talked to them about fiber as well. Yeah, yeah. So fiber can help to basically lessen those blood sugar spikes after a meal. So when you're naturally, when you're eating a meal, your blood sugar um, goes up and then it goes back down uh, when you're like when you're having time in between specific meals. Basically, what fiber does is it helps to lessen that glucose spike so that it doesn't like spike all the way up like when you eat like a candy bar. Um, yeah. And so that having fiber in your um, specific meal can help with that as well. And then with blood glucose, we also talk about just making sure you're having like um, how, how each meal contains a good amount of, of um, healthy carbs, protein, and fat. Um, just because then because fat is digested slower than um, than carbs themselves, it can help to lower that blood glucose spike as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, so that is your that is your sugar. Okay, next up are your liver enzymes. Um, so it looks like we have these readings. So let's see for ALT and then AST. So basically, with these two enzymes, they're produced in the liver, um, but they're also they're also stored in the liver, but they're also stored in your muscle tissue. So basically, so these two, these two specific enzymes, like why they are produced in the liver and we have them in the liver enzyme group, they can also be an indicator of how you're recovering from your specific workouts. So when you're working out at higher levels, your body naturally, um, as part of its adaptive response, it leaks these, um, it leaks enzymes like ALT and AST into your bloodstream. Um, and then your body works to try to fix those and rid those from your blood. And then it helps, it, it's part of your response of helping you to build um, muscles back up. So it's good that these two are, are in the optimal zone. It can show how you're recovering from your specific workouts, just in terms of um, like recovery. When I, when I refer to recovery, I mean like in terms of making sure you're taking enough rest days and um, enough 
you know, stretching and foam rolling and things like that, but then also making sure you're recovering with nutrition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Do you have a specific regimen that you, or anything that you eat specifically after a workout? Um, well, uh, after a workout, I just want to, my, pro- my priorities would be to eat like some uh, protein and usually some carbohydrates as well. So I usually have my carbs uh, after the workout. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because at that point I want to spike the kind of protein synthesis and uh, spike the uh, insulin levels even a little bit uh, to help with the uh, glycogen resynthesis. Um, let's say on a on a, like a rest day, then I would eat yeah like more anti-inflammatory foods. But after a workout, actually, I'm not like worried about the inflammation or the blood sugar levels because that's where it's kind of needed in in small amounts to kind of help with the uh, like adaptation and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, it sounds like you're on the right track. Okay. So next up is vitamin D. So your vitamin D level looks great at 67 here. I'm wondering if you happen to supplement with vitamin D at the moment. I, uh, I am taking a little bit, maybe, um, uh, I'm, I'm taking almost like at least 2000 IUs, uh, year round, even like at summertime. Uh, but mm. now, now that I've, uh, you know, the autumn period, I'm gonna, I've transitioned over to like a higher intake, like 4,000, 5,000 per day, uh, 67. Yeah, it's, it's good. Like I would, I personally would like it to be like 60 to 80, uh, at least. And, uh, yeah, like below 100 is going to be a still good range. I'm going to try to, uh, for the coming winter, I'm going to try to yeah, bump it up a little bit <laughs> because like now there's no like real sun at all. Uh, most of the, most of the time. So I'm going to be taking, yeah, like maybe, uh, 6,000 to 10,000 IUs, maybe something like that per day, uh, for the, maybe like coming a few, um, weeks at least so maybe like maybe i can get it into like 80 or 90 which which would be like a good spot for the coming winter yes definitely you raised a couple of good points so so with the sun so basically um the sun is able to just help with the production of vitamin d within your body but it's actually not enough to raise your levels um when there so if your vitamin d comes back low um, actually getting that sun exposure is not necessarily enough to raise your vitamin D levels. Um, but what it does do is it helps it to maintain your current level and basically keep you where you are. Um, so here, a supplement is a really great option because, um, as you can see here, there's not a ton of foods that contain high levels of vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are, so vitamin D is present in some, in some fish, some mushrooms, um, eggs, things like that, but not in high enough quantities for what you like need to get your vitamin D up into the eight up into the eighties. And so a supplement is a really great option for you to get there. Yeah. And we know that vitamin D is so important for so many different processes, processes in the body um, from immune health, athletic Mm -hmm. performance, bone health, sleep, pretty much everything. So definitely want to always make sure you're monitoring. Yeah. But, and uh, when you are taking a vitamin D supplement, then it's good to take a vitamin K, uh, K2 as well, maybe like magnesium as well, because they, uh, because like vitamin D like mobilizes the calcium right. into, the, into the bloodstream and you want to direct it into the bones uh, with uh, vitamin K and magnesium. So like excess calcium in the bloodstream can be like problematic. Uh, whereas if you take the K- K- K2 and the magnesium, then it's not going to be uh, staying there. Yeah, that's a great point as well. I think we can, we can jump to, let's see, I think your magnesium levels, I believe are here somewhere. So we will get to mm. that one too. Yeah. Um, okay. So next up is your iron group. Let's see. So with your iron, um, this is another one where we have like some of those markers on that group level. Mm-hmm. Um, so this iron, your iron group is in the optimal zone, which is great. So I'm looking here at your ferritin. Um, your ferritin is that storage form of iron. This is basically the iron marker that we care about the most because, mm-hmm. um, it's the storage form of iron, which is how much of iron will be available for your body. Um, so that one is in the optimal zone, which is great. 
um, we come over to hemoglobin, um, hemoglobin is also, is also in the optimal zone. That one's important for being able to, um, to basically, basically carry oxygen from, uh, from your lungs into the rest of your body, into your cells, which is particularly important when you're working out. So mm -hmm. it's good that that one is in the optimal zone. Here, we're just looking at your serum iron level. That one is just a few points above optimized here. Basically, um, that just means that when, you're, um, when your blood level of iron is, is a bit above optimized, it just means we need to work a little bit more to move that over into the storage form, which is ferritin. Mm -hmm. um, so what I will just say with that, um, one, tip, one tip there would be when you're eating iron-rich foods to pair them with a food source of vitamin C. Okay. You're having like um, something that's particularly high in iron, so something like red meat, pairing that with something like, um, with like lemon juice or with, um, or with a, a salad that has some, um, has like orange or strawberries or bell peppers or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Like copper is also, uh, the second one that does it. And actually like you need vitamin C as well for the copper, uh, to do that. So, um, yeah, like liver is actually the one, uh, with the highest copper and right. maybe like dark chocolate or stuff, stuff like that. The beans have some copper. Which is also like the one thing that I actually preach <laughs> that you, if you eat uh, red meat, that you need to have, to have to have like a copper with it as well uh, to balance the iron levels. Uh, but yeah, it seems I need to take my own medicine <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> and eat, eat more liver. <laughs> yeah, I can see. I, yep, yeah, I would agree. Okay, so that is pretty much the iron group. Okay, let's see. Next up is your testosterone group. So let's see for you that has the testosterone levels here and then your SHPG. Um, so this is basically testosterone is important for your um, overall health and athletic performance. Um, so yours is like right in the middle of that optimal zone, which is great. Um, it's interesting. So when it comes to testosterone, basically the best ways to be able to raise um, that level are actually, um, sometimes people are pretty surprised by it, but so it is important to work out and, you know, be, to work out for your testosterone levels and um, but we actually find that when someone is overtraining or working out at really high levels, um, their testosterone levels can actually drop. Yeah. So, um, so it looks like you have like a good balance here. Um, and then also um, higher levels of stress and then not enough sleep can make your testosterone levels be kind of in that lower level. And so, um, so it looks like those, maybe those two things might be going well for you mm -hmm. um, just based on some of these levels here. And then actually like the similar story with the SHBG. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh... You know, you can't outwork or outwork out and poor sleep and uh, too much stress, uh, which is for sure like more important uh, than that. Uh, but with the testosterone, like um, obviously there's like a lot of this, there's like been this trend over the past few decades that the average testosterone level is uh, declining. Um, and the, and this is actually actually like a good optimal range, which I would agree with like that the uh, reference range it shouldn't be that only two below 250 is something that you consider to be deficient. Like it should be like uh, below 300 or 400 or 500 even where you should be like starting to be concerned and you're going to ask your doctor, like, how do you improve that? What, yeah. what do you think about that? No, I agree. And that's why we have these like specific optimal zones. So basically when it comes to our optimal zones, this like yellow zone is basically what we call the normal zone. So basically what your doctor would tell you um, would be normal for you. Okay. Um, but then we go, we take that a step further with these in this green level, we have these optimal zones. So that's basically saying based on your age, gender, um, ethnicity, activity level, all these different um, hosts of factors, like what your specific blood level should be. Um, and, and that's how it's tracker is able to flag a lot of these biomarkers that other like that often go overlooked are often are overlooked by your physician. So 
to your point, um, if someone's level of testosterone is kind of in that lower side, it should be something that they should also be working on since testosterone is important for a lot of different processes here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So that's testosterone. So going back to this, um, going back to that stress uh, component that we talked about a little bit with testosterone um, would be the cortisol. So cortisol is your stress hormone. Basically when your body, um, when you're under stress or anything like that. So either a physiological kind of stress, like you're being chased by a bear um, or, or sorry, physical stress like that, or um, emotional stress, like you're stressed out about an exam that you have the next day or something like that. Your body releases more cortisol um, into your blood to be able to give you that short-term amount of energy that you need to be, to be basically be able to kind of like stay alive, be able to run away from the bear or be able to um, kickstart your studying or something like that. Um, but the problem here is that during, when you have prolonged high levels of cortisol, um, it signals to your body to take attention away and energy away from other processes that are super important. So uh, things like digestion or your immune system or things like that, that your body doesn't say, we need to focus this energy on right now. Um, we just need to kind of keep you alive. So that's why the stress hormone is so important. Um, and yours is in the optimal zone, which is great. Um, I'm wondering, do you have any like specific techniques that you use to be able to kind of like stay, stay calm, keep stress low? Uh, well, not really. Like, um, yeah. I think like, yeah, there's obviously there's gotta be, everyone has a different bucket when it comes to stress and it's very subjective when you become stressed out. And, uh, I just have like a really good way to, uh, have a big bucket and also, and also like empty it on a regular basis. So I, you know, sleep well, I don't, um, yeah, I don't overtrain. I uh, yeah, just uh, get adequate nutrients. I get the sunlight, and uh, I do take time for uh, you know time off, which is also important. Um, but for yeah, like I think like my like stress resilience kind of you can increase it with again like exercise and uh, these uh, hormetic activities like the cold and the sauna as well. But you have to approach it in this like very linear fashion that you uh, gradually increase. Uh, the exposure and you don't like immediately start to do a whole lot of uh, things and you have to, over time increase the uh, kind of the bucket size. Yeah, those are all really great points. So it can be as simple as um, making sure that you're like taking time for yourself and things like that, but then also um, different strategies, like you said, with the cold response and stuff like to like that too, and basic and being able to kind of gradually work up to it is also important. So it's not like a shock to the system kind of at, yeah. all at once. So yeah. yeah, a couple of good activities that you're doing there. All right, so when we look at your B12 levels, it looks like those are in the optimal zone as well. Um, so you mentioned that you have some, you have liver sometimes, which also contains um, a good amount of B12 that probably is contributing to these, um, to these optimal B12 levels as well. Mm -hmm. what, what would be like, uh, are there like any negative side effects to excess uh, B12? Um, basically with excess B12, it can be kind of similar to some of those, um, some of the sim similar symptoms to having lower B12, so fatigue, um, tiredness, things like that. Um, actually, we have also seen a couple of new papers about how having excess B12 can lead to some skin rashes as well. Um, so just something to also kind of keep in mind. Okay. But, right. And as a vegetarian, uh, how do you get your uh, B12? Yeah, it's a good question. I actually take a supplement for my B12. So okay. um, I try to make sure I take that lower, like a lower dose supplement so that it doesn't spike too high because um, actually based on my genetics, I have like, I have good absorption of B12. And so when I, when I take a really high supplement, it like spikes are super high. So I just take kind of like a lower, like a lower dose B12 supplement. Okay. Gotcha. So that's B12. 
Um, let's see, potassium is, so this is also some of your electrolytes. So your potassium is optimized, which is good. Um, your body very tightly regulates sodium and potassium. So, um, so it's good that this one is optimized. Hmm. But what's the grouper, like one of the foods, grouper? I've never even heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I think it's a type of fish. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we have a couple of different like ideas here on different types of fish, I guess, to include for potassium. Um, so just going beyond just the bananas. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I do eat, I eat like potatoes, which is like good for potassium, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, next up is magnesium. Um, so let's see, so we have magnesium here, which is optimized. Um, basically magnesium is kind of like, it's, it's this mineral that does a couple of different things. So um, it's a good, like we call it the anti-stress mineral. Um, it basically, it can, it can help you to do a number of different things. So it helps with um, it helps with muscle recovery. So it kind of relaxes your muscles and helps them to recover from a specific workout. Uh, magnesium also helps um, with your melatonin, with your melatonin levels and helps to uh, kind of send you into that circadian rhythm um, with your sleep wake cycle, um, a couple of different things. It's good for heart health, just based on mm -hmm. its um, impacts on blood pressure, things like that. Do you take a, do you take a supplement for your magnesium? Uh, I do, I do consume it on a regular basis, yes. Mm -hmm. Is that that might be one of the reasons that your that your sleep is that your sleep is going well? So <laughs> yeah, maybe something there. Okay, let's see. We also have um we also have calcium here, so your blood calcium level looks good. Mm -hmm. okay. Same with folate, and then your platelets in your MPV. So you're basically your body's um, your body your body's blood clotting component. Mm -hmm. He's looking good. Okay, good. And that's your blood work. Awesome. So, what's the uh, final verdict, uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> of what to do? Yeah, I mean, yeah. What's what's the overall impression? Yeah, the overall impression is that your health is in a really good spot. I would say it sounds like you're doing a number of good things um, to be able to make sure that you have like you're having healthy um, biomarker levels. So, for you, I would say. The main things I would say just to make sure that you're incorporating those um, unsaturated fats, which it sounds like you're doing in a number of different ways. I would say also mm -hmm. to make sure you're getting a fiber, um, which it sounds like with between the fruits and vegetables, things like that, you're getting a good amount. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like your your inflammation is like with your CRP, it's at a good spot. Um, and then, so it, it sounds like your current workout regimen is going well. Um, and that's also evidenced with your liver enzymes, which is your ALT and your AST. Okay. Well, your metabolic good. markers look good. So with, with the liver enzymes, it will be like if you are, let's say, working out, then uh, it may um, appear that they're elevated or they are elevated. The show is elevated, but it's not necessarily caused by like some liver disease, but it's mostly because of that you're working out and having like more muscle. Yeah, that's correct. So with the ALT and the AST, um, those are more so an indicator of how your body's responding to a workout. But then um, in certain conditions, like non-alcohol, like NAFLD, the like fatty liver disease, things like that, those, we can also see those be like crazy spiked, but um, that would be more so related to like to disease rather than like if you're, if your levels are, you know, in this kind of normal zone, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that's the case. It could, it's likely indicated by your workout. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, you can uh, stop the screen share. Great. Right. Um, what would be like, you know, obviously there's a whole lot of biomarkers people could uh, get to uh, assess their health. What would be like some of the first ones uh, you think like, you know, people should 
pay attention what are like what are the priorities basically what are the most important ones yeah that's a good question i would say um for someone who's just it also it kind of depends on the person's goal or like what they're kind of experiencing i would say in the first place um, i would say the metabolic markers are really important um just in terms of overall health and longevity i think that's a really great place to start so the metabolic markers would be those cholesterol markers the um, blood sugar markers things like that i would say um, if we're worried about longevity and overall health, I would say that's a good place to start. I would say for someone who's, um, let's say they come to us saying that they're feeling very fatigued um, and they're not really sure why, um, I would make sure that they have their iron markers tested. So specifically that ferritin and hemoglobin, um, and then also their vitamin D and B12. So those are also helpful with energy production. So I think it kind of depends on um, what the person's feeling. And like, similarly, um, if someone it comes to us and says that they um, are, you know, having a lot of muscle soreness after their workouts and things like that, then I would want to know their ALT and AST and creatine kinase um, and other markers like that. So I think it really depends on um, what that specific person is trying to look at. Mm -hmm. Okay. But from a longevity side, I say people, they are generally healthy. What would we like? Yeah, like the, they're generally healthy. What are some of the biomarkers they can look at on a regular basis to assess that they are still healthy, like that they're you know, heading in the right direction and uh, that sort of thing? Yeah, so a few different things. So we know that vitamin D um, is related to longevity. And so and so having higher levels of that, of vitamin D can be impactful for longevity. I would make sure that that one is staying in that optimal zone. Um, also with the cholesterol markers, um, we know that LDL cholesterol is also related to longevity. And so um, I would want to make sure that make sure that one's in the optimal zone, same with fasting blood glucose and then HbA1c. We wanna make sure that your body's able to process sugar and um, your insulin responses um, is still strong. And so I would say that those two as well. Um, I think inflammation levels are also really important when it comes to longevity. So your body's, your body's ability to fight off infections, but then also maintain your inflammation. Um, so I would say that is also a great indicator. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, like on a, even like on a daily basis, you can assess uh, or you can look at your blood sugar levels, which would be a good, like a really quick uh, snapshot of your uh, current right. status. Yeah, that's yeah, that's also a good point. Being able to monitor monitor those daily is also helpful. Mm. And how often would you like recommend people to uh, do the tests? Like you know, maybe like there's a difference between healthy people and the people who are like sick and they have bad results that they want to improve. Yeah, I say it definitely depends on what you're working on. So with somebody who's just interested in like general health and seeing how their biomarkers are um, being impacted by a specific recommendation, um, I would say around three months because that kind of gives your body enough time to be able to process that new dietary change that you've made or lifestyle change that you've made um, and kind of see where your levels are. So like if you were working on your vitamin D, um, I would say start taking that supplement. Let's see what your levels look like after around three months. Um, I would say when you're using, so that would be the story for, um, for kind of like that general population. Um, I would say when you're specifically using um, blood analysis for your workouts or for kind of like training, let's say you're training for a marathon or something like that. Um, I would say just to kind of do a couple of experiments by being able to see um, what your blood levels look like before you, before you're starting your training season. Um, and then like apt then how your um, biomarkers are recovering after like a big effort. So like, let's say like a long run or something. Um, and then that can help you kind of tweak your specific um, like workout and diet and fueling and things when it comes to marathon day. So I think it also kind of depends on again, like what your, what your goals are and what you're working towards. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. I usually, what I would try to do is like once a year, <laughs> like uh that's something I think that would be uh, good if you if you haven't like changed a lot if you haven't changed like you're not, not doing any crazy experiments 
then um, doing more than that is gonna, not going to be <laughs> really uh, feasible or not needed. Um, right. And even then, like even if you literally don't change anything at all, then maybe you do like even twice, once every two years or something like that. But yeah, if you're changing in things, and if you have had like some bad biomarkers, like you've had let's say high blood sugar or you've had uh, low testosterone, whatever, then uh, yeah, obviously implementing the changes and then testing again is a good or is almost like needed to know like whether or not something is working. Right. No, I agree. And I think, yeah, I think with, you know, when you're working on, when you're working towards specific things and then adding in new um, specific habits, I think that it's, it makes sense to test more frequently, but then again, like if you're not making many changes and if you don't have a lot of um, specific, you know, things that you're working on very, like kind of very in particular, then hmm. once yeah. a year also is, is suffice just to make sure that you're kind of staying in that healthy zone. Yeah. The, like if I were to try to get the blood work while being healthy from a doctor, it's going to be like a super difficult. Like they, uh, if you if you don't have like any complaints and you don't have like any uh, issues, then they don't really want to give you the um, the blood work. Uh, so yeah, that's why like these private companies are you know super kind of essential for people who are interested in looking at their like markers and know like what they're doing is actually working or something. Um, right. So yeah, that's why like the inside tracker is really great for like able to do the uh, test at home and uh, not like avoid all the kind of hassle. Right. No, definitely. And it's, I think it's really important to be able to stay proactive, um, with, when it comes to your health and being, being able to take those preventative measures, um, in terms of being able to test your levels and see if there's anything that you need to do differently, um, rather than kind of being reactionary. And so like going to your physician with a, with a specific issue and then having to kind of work backwards. It's like, so at Inside Tracker, we like to take that proactive and preventative approach. Mm -hmm. How does the process look like with the Insta Tracker? Yeah. So with, um, specifically with the home kit. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you want a specific, uh, specific, specifically, if you want a home kit, um, we'll be able to, you can just purchase it through the website and then, um, they'll send you your home kit. Um, you can, you can test your um, blood on yourself. So it's like something like, I think it's a finger prick, um, that you have, and then you send that back, um, and then it's analyzed and then, um, you'll see your results on your platform. So basically they'll, you'll get an email that your, um, results are in and you can start to create your action plan from there. You can download the mobile app on both, um, iOS and Android. And then you can see the specific recommendations for you based on that goal that you select. So um, let's say you're interested in just overall health, or let's say you're working towards something in particular, um, like your heart health or something like that. So you have the ability to be able to stay more general um, or go into something that's more specific. Then you'll see all the recommendations that you have um, that are recommended towards you. And then you can either turn them on or off. So you can say, yeah, this is one that I'm going to start incorporating or maybe not yet, or I don't, I don't want to do that one. Um, and then you can create your action plan. So then from there, you'll, you'll have your, all of your actions in one specific plan, and then you'll, um, be able to kind of set on that path to improvement. Gotcha. Do you offer also like some consultations or, um, you know, that kind of thing, uh, counseling with the, uh, plans? Uh, we don't, we don't in particular right now. Okay. That's something that we're thinking about. Okay. Right. Yeah, I've mentioned a lot of people <laughs> because like, yeah, you can get the results, but if you don't know how, what to do about it, then uh, it's going to be um, much more difficult to make changes. Yeah. So when, when you have your, when you create your action plan on the, on the mobile app or on the web, um, it has like a ton of really great information. So it starts with the science behind each specific biomarker. Um, it goes into how that impacts like your specific blood biomarker, other biomarker levels as well. Um, and then you can come over to the actions and see exactly like, so when you start to incorporate a specific action, um, what biomarkers that I could, what that can improve, um, what your DNA says. So let's see, let's say, so 
you know, your DNA says that you might be genetically predispositioned to like have a gluten intolerance or something like that. So then that would be also included in your recommendation. So um, within, when you do create your action plan, um, there is a lot of guidance there just within the like structure of the mobile app. Um, but, you know, if you have, if anyone has any specific questions or things that they um, are unclear about or wanted to work on, we also have like a customer success team that's always help, happy to answer all the questions. And then they shoot over the registered dietitians, any questions that um, like science-based questions as well. Okay. So there is, there is support if, if someone needs. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> um, well, it's been uh, great talking with you. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to, yeah, I, th I, th I think it's yeah, like a lot of good service that people need essentially when they are trying to improve their health and it's, you know, easy to do at home without standing in a queue or uh, without <laughs> having to uh, argue with your doctor that kind of thing. Uh, right. Before, before I ask my last question, um, where can people learn more about you and your work and uh, where can they get like the tests? Yeah, so you can uh, you can find out more at insidetracker.com. Okay, well, that's good to hear. We're going to put all the links in the show notes. Um, and my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit that you wish you adopted sooner? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say making sure that my vitamin D is optimized. So I always knew that my, um, so my vitamin D levels always kind of came back low, but I didn't um, necessarily do anything. Like I, I feel like I, as a registered dietitian, kind of like similar to what you were saying earlier, it's like I'm telling people, oh, you need to raise your vitamin D levels, but um, I wasn't doing it enough for myself either. So, and I think we've noticed the importance of that um, even more so in the last couple of years. And so that's something mm. I would say. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's been uh, great talking with you. And uh, yeah, let's, let's see what people think. Awesome. Great talking with you as well. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you want to check out Inside Tracker, then head over to seamlun.com forward slash Inside Tracker and use the code seamlund for a 25% discount. Other than that, share this episode with a friend and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on all the podcast apps. Thanks for listening. My name is Seam. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.